This is The Resilient Life, where we believe that every human will struggle in this life. Our challenge is to struggle well. I'm Ryan Mannion. I lost my brother to war, my mom to cancer, and I'm the daughter of a retired Marine. I'm also a wife, mom, author, and president of one of the nation's leading veteran service organizations. Join me and some incredible guests as we explore the value of struggling well through life's inevitable challenges. Welcome to another episode of the Resilient Life Podcast. It's not every day that you have the opportunity to sit down and talk to someone from our greatest generation. I was given that opportunity just a few weeks ago when my friend Roland Scarinci, a Marine veteran who served proudly during World War II, sat down with me to share his incredible life story. At 100 years old, he's seen a lot of things. It was a beautiful story and one that I was proud to record. Sadly, on May 9th, 2023, Roland passed away. I now share with you his final interview. All right, welcome to another special, special edition of the Resilient Life Podcast. Today, I am with my friend, Roland Scarinci, Marine, World War II veteran, and I am so honored to be able to interview you today here in your home. You've got your dress blues on. You look amazing. Yes, thank you very much. I feel uh, humble to be here. I, I'm, I'm humbled that you allowed me the opportunity to interview you. So, Roland, what I'd love to do um, for those that aren't familiar with your story is I'd love, I mean, first of all, I'm sitting here outside of the fact that you're a Marine, you're a hundred years old. Yeah. And, you know, to be able to talk to someone that has lived a century, right? And yes. and to think about all the things that you've seen in your lifetime. Yes, I have. It's, it's pretty incredible. So let's kind of start from the beginning. I'd love yeah. to hear a little bit more about you growing up and your path to joining the Marine Corps. Well... Uh, my brother Arthur, uh, he wasn't in a service, but my brother Eugene went in the Navy and my brother Norman went in the Army. So I was 17 years old and I had seen a movie, Guadalcanal Diary, and I said to myself, the music in there, uh, which is uh, beautiful music of the Marines, uh, I just couldn't get over it. I was going home to tell my mother. And I passed this recruiting station, which was the Marine Corps, and I, I doubled back and I asked the man, I said, how old do you have to be to be in the Marine Corps? He said, how old are you? I said, I'm 17. He said, well, you have to get permission from your mother. So that I did. She didn't like it very much, she cried. But I went in the service and I went in a platoon called, uh, platoon, uh, I forget the name, I'm, I'm sorry about that. That's okay. But the fact is, uh, it's way back, you know, uh, there were 73 people in my platoon and uh, they were all very strong. So we cut part of that out. No, you're doing great. So you're 17 years old yeah. when you joined the Marine Corps. Um, is World War Two is is happening, and so you know that 
by joining the Marine Corps, you're going to deploy, yeah. right? And so you grew up in Philadelphia, for those that don't know. Yes, I did. So you're growing up. Tell us a little bit about growing up in Philadelphia. I grew up in West Philadelphia, where the uh, independence was signed, just a few blocks from there. And I was honored to be there. And I spent my whole life there. Uh, and uh, I, I worked there, got my education there, and I made my money there, and I married there. And uh, I was the happiest guy in the world by being in Philadelphia and joining the Marine Corps, because I think the Marine Corps is one of the greatest places in the whole country. They, you know, they were good to me, and uh, I, I was proud to be part of uh, the, the, the beautiful uh, Marine Corps. Well, let's tell me a little bit about, so you joined the Marine Corps at 17, and what does that look like for you at the beginning? Do you remember when, after joining, like how quickly you left for deployment? What, what did that first kind of, uh, the first couple years in the Marine Corps look like for you? Well, I went to Paris Island, South Carolina, and uh, I stayed there for 13 weeks where I got my training. And from there, they sent me to Washington, D.C. At Washington, D.C., I was in a Marine Corps band, actually as a marcher with other Marines. I, I left 8th and I Street mm -hmm. to go to the Solomon Islands, South Pacific. We left from Norfolk. <clears throat> we were on a ship, and the ship stopped. Remember the name of the ship you were on? Uh, I know. Wakefield. Okay. I was on Wakefield. And when we got to uh, uh, the Solomon Islands, before we arrived there, the ship had to shut its motors <clears throat> because there was a Jap submarine around there. And then uh, finally we were told we were okay to go. And we landed on uh, Okinawa, not Okinawa, Guadalcanal. Mm -hmm. And from Guadalcanal, we were shipped to Puvuvu in the Solomon Islands, a, a place full of mud, rats, land crabs, and uh, whatever, dead coconuts. And there was nothing but coconut trees on the island, and the Marines had to build whatever they can to make us, this, their life uh, comfortable. And uh, we had to take a shower in the rain and it stopped raining, we're full of soap, uh, you know. Too bad. We're, we're stuck. <laughs> so anyway, uh, I love the island, believe it or not, full of rats and so forth. And uh, we, I spent my uh, entire three years <laughs> uh, playing uh, cards or whatever game we can uh, during the evenings and uh, playing uh, poker, so forth. But that's how we spent our life for three years. Quite incredible when you say you walked into that recruiter's office to join the Marine Corps because you saw a movie about Guadalcanal. Yeah. And then, what, a year later, there you are, right? Yeah. I love the Marine Corps. I love the people. I love the uniform. 
and uh, I was surprised that they took me as a patient, as, a, as an employee for the Marines. And uh, I, I was so happy, so happy that I went home and I told my mom that they accepted me in a Marine Corps mom. I said, I feel so good. And then she asked me when I'm leaving, I said, next Monday, I'm going to Norfolk. So it was just a week after yeah. you signed the papers that you were in Norfolk? Yes, a week after that. Now, let me ask you, you say, you know, you were, you went from one island to Okinawa, um, and that's where you were engaged in some heavy fighting. There was yes. a lot going on during that time. There was and there, a lot going on. So there was a specific battle. Do you remember the name of that battle, That why you were there? When you got to Okinawa, you engaged for 81 out of 82 days in the Battle of Okinawa. Do you remember any of that? No. You don't? No. I know I was there. I know a lot of my friends were killed. I know we were stuck there by PT boats. And I know I got back safe and sound without a scratch. I was blessed by God. Others that are friends of mine, most of them made it. Some of them did not. And uh, it's, a, it's a sad story, but it goes on and on. People know that I am no, no uh, hero. The heroes are buried on the island, and I feel very sad that they could not come home to greet their parents. That's, uh, I know uh, you had your own brother die, and I feel immensely sorry. Immensely sorry that he died. He was a beautiful person, and he went through a lot of education to become somebody. So I know how you feel, and I'm very sorry for that. All right, we're back. We took a little lunch break, right? Yes, we are. And so let's go back. Now that now that we've got a little sugar, a little salt in yeah. our bodies and we're yeah. feeling more alert, I want to go back to what we were talking about before. You know, you said you talk a lot about being in the South Pacific, but a lot of what you talk about is hanging out with your friends, hopping on rafts to go find the beer and the candy, yes. playing games. So a lot about the, the times that you spent with your brothers there, right? Yes. You don't, you don't always talk so much about when you were engaged in, in battle. And, and, you know, for, for those that don't know, you spent... I didn't have too much of it. Right. I didn't have too much engagement. I was fortunate. I was called the rear echelon. Uh-huh. And I was with... A, we were involved in wallets and stuff that came through mm -hmm. from the battlefields. Okay. And we tried to distinguish who it belonged to so we could send them home. For those that, that, yeah. that died? Yeah. And had blood on them, stuff like that. And, uh, so your, you, you, your group would be uh, the ones... A DT section. 
it was called D2 section. And uh, what did that feel like for you as you the were? The man I was working for. I have a an article about him. He was shot in the back of Okinawa. He wanted me to go on that side, and I decided to take a tra a, a, a trailer, not a trailer, but a a a, a jeep with ammunition to the front lines, and. Uh, there's where an explosion happened, and uh, I, I left the Jeep, and I was on the ground, and I had a little blood on my, my head, and, and that was it. And I got back to the island. And your commanding officer was shot in the back? My shot, yeah, he died. He was shot in the back. He died 20 years. When I first look, tried to locate him, several, uh, maybe a, a 20 years ago, and uh, he was a nice uh, officer. And, uh, what did that feel like for you when you when you had that role of like cleaning off wallets to send home to families? You know, do you remember? They gave us some rags, some stuff to clean them as much as possible, but still it left, it left indentations on there. But do you remember like the? any, the feelings that you had yeah, sending home belongings feeling. to people? I just said that it could have been me. Yeah. It could have been me. And I see this, this, this blood, I said to myself, this is terrible. You can't send these things home, you know. Anyway, got most of the blood off, most of it. So, when you went home, Right. When you get home back to Philadelphia, yeah. you know, today and, our, you know, our veterans today that were involved in this post 9-11 generation, yeah. right? Yeah. Fighting in Iraq and Afghanistan. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of we, we talk a lot about post-traumatic stress. Yeah. Right. And our veterans today that that have deal with a lot of mental affliction because of their time in service and, and yeah. you know, serving in a war. Well, they're going to have it. But, but it's not like your generation didn't have that e either. My generation was a little rougher. I hate to say it, but I know all of you fight for your lives. And, uh, but I know in my generation, uh, I, uh, I love the Marine Corps. I love what we were doing. Well, what do you mean your generation's rougher? What did you mean like? What I mean my generation is way back, and that's 70 years ago. Yeah. When uh, things were much nicer in America. You know, when I joined America, things were good. P people were working. People were loving this country so much, mm. like me. Uh, America, the, the beautiful, the best, and uh, and you think that's changed? It's changed a lot because people used to come over here and they knew once they got here, they got freedom, they got food, they got security, a home, and uh, you couldn't find a nicer country to treat the outsiders the way we did. And uh, it's the greatest country in the world. There's no doubt about it. I just love my country. Well, what do you think when you say it was a different time back then, and it certainly was, like, 
what do you think has changed? Like, you know, in uh, what do you see different in America today? What came different is these uh, cards, eye cards, and things that they look at. Uh, they don't look at the streets when they cross. They're looking at the side phones. I pull a car right up to a man, stopped in the middle of the street, didn't even know I was there until I blew my horn and he got out of the way. But these iPhones have taken over the country. Yeah. And uh, I can't imagine where it's going to stop. So it's almost like technology is our demise. Technology is ruining America. Absolutely ruining it. The whole world. Technology has taken over the country. And uh, I feel so sad about that because our country used to be beautiful. Beautiful, absolutely. We could walk the streets and not worry about anything. But today, it's different. It's different. All right, I'm going to take you back to the South Pacific because you once told me a story. And I want you to share the story of you claim to know where Amelia Earhart's plane went down. So I was uh, standing at the bank of the ocean. Where, where are you? The bank in the South Pacific, Solomon okay. Islands. Okay. And two Marines in a PT boat. I don't know where they're looking for natives, looking for Japs. But they asked me if I wanted to go to another island very close to mine. I said, yeah, I'll go. I didn't even have my rifle. So I got in a boat, a PT boat, and we traveled to the small little island. Do you know where, the name of it? No. Okay, just a small little island. Yeah, it's, it's just like about a half a mile away from my island. And I got on that island. And what, just for, for sake of... What island were you on that you traveled to this, this, you were in the Solomon Islands? I was Islands. on Pavuvu. Okay, Pavuvu. Okay. Yeah. So you go. Uh, I traveled to this island. Uh-huh. And uh, when I got to the island, there were natives living there. And I don't know whether they were Japanese or whether, you know, that they didn't, they didn't uh, want to deal in fighting. I don't know what they were. There were families there. They had their beds made of straw, and uh, one native came over to me, and he told me with his five fingers that out there, this is in 1943, he said, an airplane went down. And I said to myself, he said, actually, he said, that was five years ago. Five years ago would have been 1938. In 1938, Amelia Earhart was lost in the Solomon Islands with her co-pilot. And uh, it struck me that way, that it was Amelia Earhart, because they'd never seen that plane go down over there in their whole life that they were living there. So I tried to get a hold of Jack Cousteau. He used to go underwater diving, looking for different things. But trying to get Jack Cousteau was like... A, trying to kill an enemy. He couldn't get anybody. He couldn't get Jack Cousteau. Uh, so you believe that this 
tribe on that island actually saw Amelia Earhart's yeah, plane go down. I believe it had to be Amelia Earhart because all indications prove that that's where she pa- passed away in 1,500 feet of water with her co-pilot. And they missed the island about like, uh, I would say about uh, 100 feet, maybe more. Wow. And they sank in 1,500 water, 1,500 feet. That's all I could say about Amelia Earhart. That's incredible. Um, and it's true. I feel that way. Yeah. So the other story that you've told me before, which I think is, is pretty incredible, is, is when you were a young boy in Philadelphia, and I think you were walking to school or walking home, and, and, and what did you see that day? The, the Hindenburg flew over my head. I was coming back from a golf course. How old were you, do you remember? I was about eight, uh-huh. uh, maybe seven, and it was raining, and I was, you know, I was mooching golf balls. I was looking for golf balls, and uh, I'm walking up Hafford Avenue, and I hear this big noise on top of me. I look up, and I see the Hindenburg. It looked like a block long. You could see the people sitting in there. It was so low, like about 30 feet from me, and it was... Passed me on Hafford Avenue, and I went home to tell my mother it was raining. And the, the ship turned around at City Line, and it flew back over my head again. And I couldn't believe it. It was headed towards Lakehurst. And once it got to Lakehurst, it blew up at the, at the mountain. What did, did you, when you went home? You told your mom. What did you say? Like I, just, I told mom. I said you should have seen a big airship. I said it was from Germany. I said it has a swastika in the back, and uh, I said I can't believe it. I said uh, I went to Lakers, and then I came on the radio that night that the Hindenburg had blown up. Wow. That's about it. <sighs> If you look back over a hundred years of life, what is the most significant thing that you can remember happening to you within your life? The most important, significant event? Well, I know being an American was a big event for me to be born in West Philadelphia, practically where the independence uh, was signed for America. Mm-hmm. America became, at that point, the greatest country in the world. And I was a little boy at that time. And that was a big thrill to know that I grew up in a country that was born near my neighborhood. And I was so blessed. And I was just very patriotic. Because I knew I had a brother in the army a brother in the Navy, and that's why I chose later on to become a Marine. Roland, what is the secret to living to 100 years old? Loving people. You have to go through life loving people because I love everybody. I love people all over the world. I want people to have a happy home, a happy life like me. You know, if they don't have it, you know, I feel sorry. But my life was simply beautiful. 
I just couldn't ask for anything more than a life that I had lived. So it's about loving others, right? Yes. And staying positive, because I've never met someone with a more positive outlook on life than you. I always had a positive outlook. I always love life. I always love people. And uh, I just feel grace. I just feel humble that uh, I'm still alive. So what's your message to today's fighting force, our men and women who, who joined the military? What, if you could give them any message, what would that be? The message I have is for young people that want to join the service. Have love in your heart. Don't just kill to be killed. Just try your best to stay alive and stay away from injuries such as bullets and so forth and uh, try and come home safe. Roland, you asked me what song um, that I wanted you to play and uh, I've heard you play God Bless America so many times and you do it beautifully, but I'd love to hear the Marine Corps hymn. Well, I'll certainly play it for you. Here we go. That was amazing. Thank you. Semper Fi. Semper Fi. Roland, anything else? Yes. Before we close out today? How about America the Beautiful? All right, let's do it. awesome thank you thank you roland for your service i'll hold that for you to this country everything that you do and for continuing 
to share the greatness of the United States Marine Corps and you know, all that you represent. I thank you very much. It was my honor. I did what America asked me to do, and that's what I did. And I thank God that I was able to come home and be with my family. Roland, thank you so much. I love you. I love you too. Yeah. Thanks for joining us for another episode of the Resilient Life Podcast. Mm-hmm.